on this week's Bet the Process podcast, Rufus and I go through all of the wildcard games and actually give you real analysis on the games. Spoiler alert, we have someone else do it for us. We also talk a little bit about, we forgot to ask him the uh, seven questions. So Rufus has asked me the seven questions, which I find entertaining. And we end with another consensus pick. Hopefully it wins by as much as Georgia did last week. So with that, let's start the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Bet, 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 bet the process. Welcome to the podcast. Bet the process. It's not that typical cookie cutter nonsense. If you came just for picks, you're in the wrong place. Find a talent with the narrative to make a strong case. Instead of blindly assuming a team must be tanking, we're looking for the edge of Massey Peabody rankings. Crunching all the numbers in a simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage is sports. Welcome to another episode of the Bet the Process podcast where rufus peabody is in new york um you're becoming quickly like one of the most hated uh people by seville on the internet and that is how does that feel you know it's better to be relevant than irrelevant i guess <laughs> no press is bad press that's i don't mean hate say. i really don't mean hated because hated is very but i think you are one of the most uh Right now, you you are drawing the ire of Seville quite a bit, and I, you know, again, like, no press is bad press, right? Well, think about our culture. People like piling on. It's it's yeah, a lot every time you every time you tweet somebody. every time you every time you tweet now I like sit there like I'm like oh this is it's a lot easier to criticize somebody when everybody else is criticizing that person too. It makes you feel cool. It makes you feel like part of the club. <laughs> Okay, I am for everyone. I'm just kidding. I don't think Rufus is the most hated person on the internet. I don't want people to think I'm being mean to Rufus. I'm just teasing him like a big brother teases someone. I'm Jeff Ma, clearly the most um, cringeworthy host, podcast host on the internet. Cringeworthy? No, not at all. Um, Jeff, you Jeff just raised not your finger. On Twitter either. You just raised your finger. Were you about to say something? Oh, on the topic of my tweets and what people say about my tweets on the internet, I tweeted something about FanDuel's parlays for parlaying side and totals on NFL games. Yeah, I how, saw that. How they were pricing the positively correlated legs. So I think it was minus 10 and a half and over 44 and a half, which are positively correlated. They were baking that correlation in and, and charging like plus 216. Normally a two-leg teaser, uncorrelated, it should be plus 264.6, but... Most books pay plus 260. They're playing paying plus 216, which is fine because there is correlation. But if you wanted to parlay minus 10 and a half and under 44 and a half, a leg that is, these are revert negatively correlated, they're paying you plus 255. So they're baking in the correlation on one side and then sort of not giving you relief on the other side. And it makes it, it it's the equivalent of in a, futures market if they move the line every single time somebody bets a bet but they never move the prices on everybody else and so they would just keep cranking up the hold and keep cranking up the hold yeah not but what did but you say that not tweet, good no it not wasn't good cool. bob not cool not, not cool. cool not cool not cool and somebody said i wonder why they're doing that like and i said please tell me and then they linked uh teaser tool video and i said this has nothing to do with that nothing at no, all it, it de that said, definitely has I'm nothing sorry, to do right. with that but it isn't no, it so 
that that what is bad though is that people start just piling on you from the teaser tool and the insightful things that you say on the internet get buried because of that. Well, I don't think they get buried. I think that a certain part of the community responds in a certain way to it, but I still think Seville is a very, very small segment of gambling Twitter. By the way, we talk about Seville and people who don't know what it is. It drives them crazy, but I feel like it's one of those things that we need to continue to do and never define what Seville is because Seville is amorphous. It's, it's, it's like the first rule of Seville is probably don't talk about Seville. It's non-static. It's <laughs> okay, always changing. So enough navel gazing. Um, what did you think of the national championship game? I did not watch a single minute of the game, Jeff. I had no interest in watching. So I don't, why did you, did you not bet on Georgia in that game? So my biggest position was a Georgia money line bet. I don't know if you're familiar with the Super Bowl middle. Yeah. Which yeah. exists in some of these public games yeah. where people that are betting the underdog um, right. are, are going to be doing so on the money line and people betting the favorite are going to be doing so on the point spread. And so the public doing that drives the money line relative to the point spread a little bit out of whack. And I was able to get minus 450 on Georgia. And at the time, the unabated line was minus 14 plus 104. That's a no big price. And so the true price should have been minus 524, I believe. And I got minus yeah. 450. So given that I like Georgia, that was the better bet to take. So I, I laid a good price on that or a good, I, I got down a good amount of money on that. It's interesting because I was I was talking to our friend Cheetah about the game and he was actually saying like, you know, he's not really following a lot of stuff because he's not betting, but he was saying that he thinks that that minus 450 was probably a banger because like oh, essentially, geez. essentially what I've kind of said um, is that, you know, um, I feel like, and I felt this way a little bit beforehand. I talked about this on Kornheiser's show that I thought the line, I said this on Friday that I thought the line was going to go to 14. Um, and I, I was right on that. Um, but what I, what I think, and obviously this is in, in hindsight, this was a very big moment in terms of value on a favorite is similar. And, and you know, never, nothing's going to ever get to Mayweather Pacquiao or, or things don't really get there, but I do think there was a lot more value here on the favorite than anyone was really acknowledging. Um, well, so you said- Well, Massey Peabody agrees with you there. Yes. But I think of the quantitative systems out there, I think we were the outlier. If you look at something like team rankings or some of these other systems that we found actually have some predictive value, um, they were not nearly as high. There were some quantitative systems that were in the eight and a half to nine range also, but Massey Peabody made it minus 18 and a half. Yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, and, and I can't argue with other quantitative systems that are good because that does shit on my narrative here. Um, I, I do think that there is this notion um at least in my mind, right? Like when I think about this, that that the reason that TCU had a lot of momentum was because of that Michigan game where and how they played. I mean, they had just lost to Kansas State, right? And, you know, they were a team that everyone was talking about not belonging. They had to do a fire drill field goal to get by Baylor. Like they weren't 
you know, they weren't that good. You, you said it all along. They weren't that good a team. You, before we talked about the F, you know, before going into the FBS, uh, the playoffs, you made a point, like, I think that you thought that they would be whatever, 18 or 19 or 20 point dogs to, to Georgia. And you had a situation where Georgia had played like largely a bad game um, and got by the number two team in the country by most analytics. And this team had, you know, obviously played a great game, but also had a fair amount of luck, like almost like, when do you ever see that amount of, of luck, that amount of points being put, you know, two pick sixes, the, the number of points they left inside the one yard, like that is a, a lot. And again, like nothing is defined by one game, but the market momentum, I really believe going into that game had a lot to do with that Michigan game. Well, and I think TCU season in a nutshell can be summarized by the Michigan game. They've had a lot of luck in general. They've come back from double digit deficits in a bunch of different games in the second half. They've squeaked out close wins against teams that aren't that great. They were they were the team that ended up with, I mean, well, they did lose to Kansas State in overtime, but I think we can all agree their record over was much, much better than their actual team quality. And so I do think, though, I mean, to your point, like, yes, I was very high on Georgia relative to TCU. I was very high on Alabama relative to TCU. I tweeted out before the committee picked the playoff teams that I thought Alabama would be a 14 and a half point favorite against TCU on a neutral field. Um, But that doesn't mean every quantitative system was, was the same. I think ESPN's FPI would have made it. I don't think this was updated for after the semifinals, but they would have made it Georgia minus 12. So, you know, I, I, you know, if, if you, if you believe Massey Peabody as much as, um, you clearly do, then maybe it was the Pacquiao, uh, Pacquiao, um, not Pacquiao, but the Mayweather, um, McGregor, McGregor. There you go. It's not so, it's not so much that I believe, I don't know. I I guess what I'm saying is a team, uh, you know, the, an NFL, um, a, a college football season, just like an NFL football season is a small sample size. You can't ignore pri- you can't ignore priors. You can't ignore and and I mean how much? I guess the question is, how much of an impact do you think that Michigan game had on the point spread of the TCU game? Do you think it had a point, two points, zero points? So if TCU played Georgia in the semi, what would that number have been? Yeah, I mean, I would say probably. In terms of my rating, I think TCU rose a point and a half, maybe something like that. But they jumped like two rating spots. Yeah. So I don't think uh, the question is what did the what opinion did the market think it had? But you do you did look at that line and it it went from Georgia minus twelve and a half, which was I think our our pick on the podcast, and it closed thirteen and a half, fourteen, right? Yeah, I mean it was it was. So when, when the line popped 12 and a half, when it first opened, I was like, this is a joke. This is like so much money. Like, and I bet it. And, um, I bet it for a reasonable amount of money, more than I would bet a regular game, uh, more than I would bet something that I thought was just a little bit of value because I thought for sure it was mispriced. And 
Then it went up to 13, 13 and a half right away. And then it actually came back to 12 and a half. So I was very confused and I really needed someone else like you or Cheetah to whip me into a frenzy about this to like unload on this. And that's a good segue into my tiltiest moment of the week, right? Which was, which was watching this game and feeling like I should have had alt lines and other things attached to it because I felt very much like, you know, I had had the the insight into this, but just not the conviction, I guess. Yeah. So Jeff, my, my number on the game with no priors is, was Georgia minus 13.9. No, you, t- you said that on the, you said that I on did. the podcast. You said that I knew, I knew your number without priors was lower, much lower. Yeah. But to your point, priors still do matter here. And I think especially it, it's, it's not just because these teams have played more games. It's than, than, you know, teams that haven't made bowl games and things like that. Cause what they played 12 games plus conference championship, plus the semifinals were at 14 games uh, now 15 it's, it's because there still is, I mean, there still is randomness there and talent like still wins. I think yeah. Kirby smart said something like you can win with, you can get, you can win with scheme for a short period of time, but in the long run scheme, isn't going to win for you. It's talent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anyways, so, so my tiltiest moment on honestly was like, and I actually was reading someone tweeted out like about there being a lot of tail, not tail risk, but tail opportunity in this matchup and that um, alt lines and, you know, first halves and all this kind of stuff were things that he was looking to bet for Georgia. And I was like, man, and again, like, this is so dumb because this is like hindsight bias being, you know, incredible, right? Like, um, you know, being able to look in the past and understand from the future, what the past is going to hold. But, um, but that was a tiltiest moment for me being a, being a Georgia fan and, and being um, watching just that, that now, do, do you think that game was, Oh, you didn't watch the game. So forget it. I didn't watch the game. I, I don't know. I didn't have any interest in watching it. If it had been Georgia, Michigan, I would have watched it, but. Yeah, I was, Georgia I was excited to watch TCU. it. I, I, I actually, I didn't even know it was Monday until somebody told me. By the way, we we had the second half under in that game, and it opened twenty seven. Win it well, so it opened twenty seven and a half. I um like ran through stuff. By the time I was able to get something in, it went down to twenty seven. So I ended up getting twenty seven, and um, wait, did you lose know, by a point? No, it it it, it won? pushed. It pushed because. Ah georgia kicker missed an extra point oh they missed an extra point that last extra point yeah it was funny because i had it it's, it's in my mind i had lost it and you know what's what's the chance rufus of losing a 27 point you know over under in a second half when it's a blowout and the losing team the team that's getting blown out does not score a point it's pretty hard to lose an under in in a situation of that type it's pretty hard to win an under when the team that's winning scores four touchdowns though. True. I guess that's a bite, but I mean, you would say that they're, I guess, I guess if you think go back the and Super think Bowls about in games, the nineties, but so, so much think of totals about the Super Bowls in the nineties, right? You but had so a much of totals. Blowouts. Wouldn't you say that so much of totals is game state in the yes. second halves, but I and think the, the way that that I game state played out, it's not, it's a national championship game. It is not a regular season game. Sure. And I think, think about the Super Bowls in the 90s where you had these big blowouts and at the end, both there was a ton of scoring. 
people are, teams are not saying, oh, let's just run out the clock now. When the game's over, it's... Well, I mean, Georgia was essentially saying, let's run out the clock. It's just that TCU couldn't stop them. <laughs> right. It was, and they, I mean, they, they still threw the ball with their backup quarterback. Yeah, I mean, just to get, like, to get conversions, not really, like... They threw the ball downfield when they were like up... once or when twice. They, when it, wasn't, it wasn't like... Seven. Okay, fine. Whatever it was. Well, he's a he's a young guy. He's gonna be the starter next year. They need him. They need him to get time. Exactly. But I, I do think. All right, and, fine. And I'm happy with the push. I, if that's your point. My, so I do think that these championship games are going to be a little bit different, and I can't say exactly how much. This isn't exactly an empirically based opinion as much as it's more anecdotal. And in general, we just don't have enough of these games to really come to any definitive conclusion on it. But I feel like they play out differently, just like no. primetime games. Second half, no, I, I think that's fair. We tended to play out differently, and the bowl games generally, like they're just they're they're just different. Like these last games, like like to the point they're like, in one case, bowls are like exhibitions, right? And you saw it at the end of some of these games. Um, you know, I was second house. I did really well in. Um, for the first part of the bowl season and then badly in the second part. So it was basically just a complete a wash. Wash. Yeah. It, it looked like it looked genius, but then it became a wash. Um, what was your tiltiest moment? I don't know. I didn't really, I've been thinking about this today. I didn't really have a super tilty moment. Maybe our college basketball kind of took a, a, a negative turn again. It's just been, it's been a season of runs up and down and up and down. It feels like when we have a winning day, we have five straight winning days and we have a losing day. We have five straight or seven straight losing days. I mean, college basketball is like that. It's like uh, baseball on steroids, right? Like it's just, you have so many plays every day that you're going to have these just, it's just the classic. Anytime you have any sort of a, you look at any sort of sequence, right. Of events, you're going to have like variants to one side or the other, which looks like a pattern, meaning like six or seven winning days in a row or six or seven losing days. Are you guys net up or net down? Um, I think we're right around net break, even somewhere. I'm not sure exactly. Cause we have a, we have two separate logs, one before we kind of started this different accounting system. So we, we did, we did well yesterday and I still have to put sides in there. We've been betting sides now recently and have been doing pretty well with those actually. Yeah. Put sides in Rufus. For those okay. people who may or may not be tailing you, you got to put sides in. <laughs> okay. Um, we're now going to um, welcome in our guest who is an actual NFL person know, that knows something about the NFL. Rufus and I need to bring people in that actually know something about NFL and can talk about players' names and things like that. Um, he is His name is Arif Hassan, and we will talk to you guys again on the other side. We now welcome in Arif Hassan to the Bet the Process podcast. Um, welcome, Arif. Uh, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. So we we came across you because I was actually looking for what we consider the Bud Elliott of, of the NFL. Um, and one of our uh, listeners suggested Greg Rosenthal. He wasn't available and he suggested you. So here we go. Um, tell us a little bit about how you become, how you've become the recommended choice of greg rosenthal to the bet the process podcast which is quite a moniker to be holding yeah i wear it proudly um the, the bud elliott comparison is really generous i really appreciate that for 
you know, hypothetical purposes. Uh, no, I mean, uh, I was uh, I was a Vikings blogger for the longest time. I uh, ran my own blog. I also did stuff with uh, Daily Norseman, was the SB Nation um, associated blog for the Minnesota Vikings. And um, I don't know, man, I just kind of worked my way up. Uh, you know, I got I got plucked to write for a website called Zone Coverage, which does uh, Minnesota based sports. I did a bunch of the football stuff. Uh, and then from there, um, you know, a bunch of people recommended me for the athletic. The athletic eventually listened and decided to you know, give me a shot. I worked there for a couple of years and then Pro Football Network decided to pick me up. So um, it's been a phenomenal journey. Um, I don't really believe in regs to riches stories, but, you know, it's kind of feels like one. Right. So what um, what's your process for sort of evaluating NFL games? Like, how do you how do you do you are you analytical? Do you watch film? Like what's do you just read articles posted by, you know, random other writers or what's your process? Yeah, I mean, like well, I got started writing so i didn't even like sports until uh you know i was on my college debate team and the requirement to be on the team was to be on their fantasy team uh in the fantasy league and uh i said no but they signed me up and my name was attached to it and i hate losing yeah and uh you know if my name's attached to something no way am i gonna lose so i started getting invested in football and uh from there i entered basically on a number side and i thought most sports writing this is way back in like 2009 was bad um, I, I don't think they did a very good job evaluating or proving their arguments. And I think the easiest way to go about doing that is to take a look at the numbers kind of behind stuff. So I wrote some pieces about kind of, you know, how we're not doing a very good job talking about college quarterbacks. Uh, and it just kind of grew from there. So I started with kind of a, a numbers focus and I got really interested in, you know, stuff like expected points, stuff like sustainability, whether or not fumble luck was real, whether or not, you know, we cared about clutchness, you know, kind of the normal questions that somebody kind of getting into numbers uh, wants to discuss when it, when it comes to sports, you know, the, the hot hand fallacy back and forth, the studies that have been posted there, you know, that kind of stuff. So I got interested in that, but, you know, the most, the most intriguing stuff was stuff I couldn't understand, right? The film stuff. Uh, and so I, I did a really deep dive over the course of the next couple of years, trying to figure out everything that you could learn about, you know, film. I watched coaching clinics. I read a bunch of books. And so for me, a lot of this has been a journey about combining what we know about publicly available analytical information. I don't have like a degree in statistics, so I can't really do a bunch of that stuff myself. But, um, you know, publicly available analytical information, trying to cohere or explain whether, you know, what that means when we evaluate stuff on the field, what it means when, you know, uh, you've got a quarterback that throws corner routes really well. Can we, you know, use that information in our models, right? You know, what does it mean when we know that a, a defense is going to be running cover six a lot and we know that an offense runs, uh, you know, post a lot, which is good against cover six? What does that mean? You know, can these matchups tell us anything? I don't know. And for me, it's less about predicting games, which, you know, Vegas, I'm like marginally, pro- not even that profitable most years um more about explaining how things occur and why those things occur and so for me it's been a lot of you know doing player evaluations from um you know a film side of it trying to see kind of what matches up from an analytical side of it trying to test you know combine models uh and stuff like that but it's been a lot of trying to prove arguments like i said i have a debate background so my writing is less about storytelling and more about winning arguments just fun got it all right, let's let's jump into the games this week. Um, and we're gonna go a similar format to how we did on our Bud Elliott college show, um, where we go through each game. We'll because there's not as many of them, we'll give them all like three to five minutes. Um, but we'll start with the San Francisco 49ers. Um, the line is now nine and a half. It was up 
north of 10 mm-hmm. for a while and the the total is 42 and a half rufus what say you on that and then we'd love to hear reef's take so i make the spread minus five and i'll say a big reason for that is that i am low on san francisco i'm low on brock purdy specifically and jeff can jeff i'm, I'm waiting for jeff to say why well, it's because he's not an old quarterback. Exactly. Old I love the old veteran quarterbacks. Actually, exactly. Yeah. If it was like, Joe Flacco, he'd if it was probably Joe Flacco, be... they'd be like minus 12, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no, so it's 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 the prior it's the priors argument. It's yeah. the fact that Brock Purdy is was the last pick of the NFL draft. He's made what now? Six starts, something like that, five, six starts. We've seen a lot of quarterbacks start their career pretty well. Uh but in general, especially if you're a later round pick like that, um, you know, you're likely to regress. And Brock Purdy does have Kyle Shanahan as a head coach. And somebody actually asked me who I thought was the better quarterback, Purdy or Geno Smith. And I said, it's hard to separate the quarterback from the system. I mean, I, I would love to see what Kyle Shanahan could do with Geno Smith. Right. And so mm-hmm. I think Brock Purdy's clearly in a great system. And, and I, my numbers, I still think San Francisco is, a, is four points better than an average team, but I am also a little bit higher on Seattle than the market. So I know I'm way off market in this game, but I, I my numbers certainly point to Seattle being the right side. That's really fascinating. Um, I am also a Brock pretty skeptic for basically the same reasons. I think that, you know, what he's done, what he's shown on film has been somewhat impressive. Um, but, you know, I, I think that it's more likely than not that 31 teams were correct when they passed over him. Um, so that, I, I think that that's pretty interesting. I would still take the 49ers minus nine and a half here. Part of that has to do with matchups. Part of that has to do with the fact that if you isolate it to offensive points that are scored outside of garbage time over the course of these last two games that Seattle has played against the 49ers, they have scored six points. Uh, they've scored 20 combined points. Seven of those came off of a blocked field goal return. And the other came with a 99% win percentage probability for San Francisco, 335 left in the fourth quarter. Um, so for me, I, it is difficult for Seattle to score in particular against San Francisco. They are an offense that is fairly standard looking, but gets almost all of their value from explosives, right? Geno Smith is throwing deeper than he ever has. It's kind of uncharacteristic for him. For me, he is actually playing outside of the Smith system that we kind of know him for all the way back to West Virginia, going up through the New York Jets and even the New York Giants. He's playing a little bit more of a deep ball game with DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. That makes a lot of sense to me, but I think with, you know, the safeties and cornerbacks, Traveri Swartel Telano Hufunga that San Francisco has, they do a pretty good job of making sure that those deep passes don't actualize or materialize. And I know that with a pass rush like San Francisco's with Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa, who's probably going to win the defensive player of the year, that they'll be able to cut down on all of that. And, and they don't have the yards after catch game that San Francisco does. But what's more concerning to me is that Seattle's defense is a horrendous matchup for the way that San Francisco runs their offense. They are first or second in the league, I believe, in yards after catch allowed per uh, route run or per reception Uh, in either of those categories. And San Francisco, of course, is the yak offense. And they are especially the yak offense with Brock Purdy, who is a very limited quarterback. We saw some pretty nice deep balls and highlights, but his deep ball rate is even lower than Jimmy Garoppolo's. Doesn't matter. Um, Brandon Ayuk. Uh, Debo Samuel, uh, Christian McCaffrey, they're all really excellent after catch receivers. I know that after catch stuff tends to be a little bit less stable 
than uh, than yards per out run or before cat or just air yards, right? Um, but I think for San Francisco, it's pretty meaningful. Kyle Shanahan has also demonstrated the capability of squeezing blood from a stone, honestly, when it comes to these quarterbacks. Nick Mullins, not a good quarterback, pretty decent production. CJ Beathard, worst quarterback, pretty, pretty decent production. So I'm going to trust the system here, and I'm also going to trust that Seattle just can't find a way to score uh, against San Francisco, and their offensive style and defensive style is just a bad matchup. All right. Let's move I have on. A question. I have a hypothetical question. Yeah, let's let's say Geno Smith was the quarterback of the 49ers and Brock Purdy was the quarterback of the Seahawks and both teams had a few weeks to prepare or something like that. Mm-hmm. What would the line be? How, how different would the spread be? Uh, it's tough to get over two touchdowns, but a 13 and a half, 14 seems about right. Yeah, I would concur. It would okay. probably be pretty big. Although, who knows? Maybe you guys are all underrating Rudy, Brock Purdy. Okay. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> it he looks possible. like Sean Astin. Anyways, uh, <laughs> we're going to go move on to the Jacksonville Jaguars playing against the Los Angeles Chargers. This line opened at one and a half, I think, went to even, and has now popped back to Chargers minus two. Um, it's interesting because there's a lot of – I feel like there's a lot of analytics and smart people that really like the chargers to win the AFC or chargers, this chargers, that Rufus, what's it, what do your numbers say? I was going to say, I, I thought a lot of analytics people like the Jaguars overall this year. So my numbers say just based on this season alone, the Jaguars have had the better offense. The Jaguars have had the better defense, but there is the, the Justin Herbert narrative. Um, and for years, he's been great on third downs, great under pressure, great when it counted. I I still think the Jaguars should be favored here. And I, my priors, I mean, were not particularly high in the Chargers going into this season. Certainly, so they how, dealt, what do you have they dealt with injuries. I'm getting there. They, they dealt with injuries this year, but and, and they are healthier now. Although, I don't know Mike Williams' status, and I have no idea why, with no reward and all the risk, <laughs> they would play all their top players, especially once... And especially given that franchise's history of yeah. injury, bad injury <laughs> luck, right? You're just playing with fire. Maybe he was trying to sort of cleanse the bad juju by that. But but my, I make the number Jaguars minus three and a half. Yeah, normally um, it's just very easy to go with the better quarterback. And I do think that Justin Herbert is the better quarterback. But I think everything else involved here is kind of overwhelming. I think Doug Peterson designs a better offense than... Um, I already forgot the 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 Chargers offense Lombardi. Yeah, oh, oh God, Lombardi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's I know on, one player and one coordinator. There you go. Uh, but Brandon Staley does poor game management. He does poor uh, decision making in games. He's pretty poor in like things like fourth down. Um, and uh, the offensive design maximizes Herbert's weaknesses and minimizes his strengths. This is the lowest depth of target he's ever thrown. And when you have Mike Williams, and I know he's been injured for a good chunk of the year, when you have Mike Williams, that is ridiculous right so i i think that when you look at the offensive design and ways to maximize players like christian kirk and evan ingram and zay jones all of whom had career years this year right um i think that you've got a better offensive design with the jacksonville jaguars i think that um trevor lawrence is one of those guys i think that you know a bunch of analytics guys including me didn't like andrew luck his first couple of years in the league but the film guys loved him and i think they turned out to be generally correct about him i think the same thing is true with trevor lawrence where he does a really fantastic job getting rid of pressure manipulating the pocket going over all of this stuff um all of the pressure problems justin herbert is not particularly 
He was a fantastic quarterback against pressure his rookie year. That is an unstable stat. He is okay against pressure. Trevor Lawrence, I think, has been fantastic against pressure in a way that kind of it's a trait, right, as opposed to a statistic. Um, and so when you take a look at these two pass rushes, Josh Allen versus Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack versus Trayvon Walker, whatever, um, you get, you know, the Chargers pass rush is a little bit better. And they're up against an offensive line that's a little bit better. But I think that the quarterback's manipulating the pocket. You want, I think that you would prefer this year, Trevor Lawrence. I think that the defense is just generally better. Tyson Campbell's a super underrated corner. Um, the Chargers have been overcoming their own free agent signings here. To me, I also would favor the Jacksonville Jaguars here by probably two points. This is a pretty big swing from, from, the, from the Vegas line. I also would prefer the Jacksonville Jaguars. All right. We got a we got we got a pick there. Some consensus. I like the agreement. Yeah. All right, we're gonna move on to the Buffalo Bills, who are now a thirteen point favorite <laughs> over the Miami Dolphins. Um, do they? Do we need to play this game <laughs> with Skylar Thompson a quarterback? I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is the ultimate in Mike McDaniel if he has some ability to get blood from a stone out of the situation, right? I mean, he he may, maybe he was like holding some back in that Jets game, knowing that they could win by a field goal and a safety at the end. Um, but, um, you know, it's, yeah, it, it does seem like it's going to be an ugly game. Rufus, what do your numbers say, given that you're probably so, so high on Skylar Thompson? So I made the number originally with Bridgewater. I assumed that Bridgewater would be back if Tua didn't go. Because uh, he, there was a chance he was going to be back last week. So with Bridgewater, I made the Bills minus 11.3. And I had Bridgewater three and a half points worse than Tua. And I believe Thompson's going to be at least two points worse than Bridgewater. So I probably read around market there. Uh, that's, that's pretty fair. Um, you know, this is, I think Skyler's what a seventh round quarterback. It's, it's basically the same evaluation when it comes to Brock Purdy, except you don't even have the good play to kind of, uh, you know, challenge your priors as it were. Um, so I, uh, I, I, it's tough because I think Mike McDaniel's a really excellent offensive coordinator. I think that they want to switch to a yak oriented game, uh, kind of like what San Francisco is doing with Skylar Thompson, but they haven't been able to do that when Skylar Thompson actually plays. Uh, and when you have a bills defense, that's as good as it is. They do a pretty good job closing down on, on yards after the catch. It feels like that this should be a pretty big spread. And I, I think that that's pretty fair. The problem for me is I think the bills are a really good matchup against Tua from the way that they run their defense. They're just an okay matchup just in terms of strengths and weaknesses. Obviously Skylar's not a very good quarterback, but I, I think that the numbers and the film kind of align in a way where probably Skyler is going to exceed our expectations just a little bit. Again, not to win the game or play well, but exceed our expectations. Uh, and the way that Miami plays defense, you know, with a really heavy blitz look, with a fair amount of man coverage, Josh Allen has kind of struggled with that this year. His work against the blitz, and, and they're one of the heaviest blitzing teams in the league, his work against the blitz is just kind of pedestrian he's been great under pressure but the the blitz looks itself against man coverage you know Gabe Davis is not working for him Isaiah McKenzie's not working for him for me I think the Bills win you know by two scores but I just I can't do 14. Okay Bill, Bills are also going to have the the home well the cold weather acclimatization advantage there yeah 30 degree temperatures that that to me that just means strike the under I, that's not <laughs> That's not huge to me. If it if it's like in Miami and it's a hundred degrees, that's a different story. Oh, I, I mean, the the academic research has found that that cold, warm weather teams traveling to cold weather cities have have substantially underperformed historically. There was a paper from 
What's the, uh, how is that actualized into points? Do you have the numbers on that? I, I don't, I could actually find the paper, but I, I That'd did be this one. I did this That's fair. lit review for a I mean, the interesting in thing about that paper too, is it, it's not just the, it's not just like the dome thing. It's just the idea of them being in the cold weather climate, right, Rufus? Yeah. And the fact that they're coming from 80 degrees, they're practicing in 80 degree weather, and then they're playing in 30 degrees and the whole, there's a psychological thing where in, in mm-hmm. the cold, your body has this sort of fight or flight thing. And it takes time to get comfortable and to get acclimated and to actually be able to process things in, in the normal way. So it kind of is one of these situations where the findings sort of align with the science for the, so if I, if I take, if I take say 10 points on a neutral field, the cold might push it to 14. So you're saying, no, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's 14, but <laughs> I mean, I, I would say, I mean, you could argue that in this particular case, it could add a point of home field advantage. Okay. Yeah. Which, uh, would nowadays is what one and a half. It's it's not three like it used to be. Oh no, home field advantage. These, I mean, it's I'm using like one point seven now, and I'm probably yeah. high. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I guess I guess it's a very slight, slight Miami, like twelve and a half, thirteen points. Then from what I'm taking. All right, move on to the Vikings minus the three against the Giants. The totals forty eight. Um, obviously, this is the game where. It's the two no one thinks we're very good teams. Although I guess people now are like warming up to the Giants. It doesn't seem like anyone will ever warm up to the Vikings. <laughs> um, Rufus, what what do you make this line? So these are the two. Actually, there is one worst team in the playoffs, and that is the Ravens if Lamar Jackson is not starting. But I, I make the line Minnesota minus 1.8. Interesting. Um, to me, Minnesota minus three is, is fairly intuitive, which I think it is right now, right? Um, and, you know, obviously I could just point to the fact that they won by three the last time they played. That's pretty dumb. It took a record-breaking field goal or a franchise record-breaking field goal for them to do it. But um, I, I still want it's, – it's tough because, like, they're – they go back and forth when you take a look at some of these analytics. Like, expected points per play in net, Vikings are favored 12th to 18th. Success rate, Giants are favored 12th to 16th. Drive success rate, Vikings are favored 14th to 19th. DVOA kind of broken for both of these teams, 21st to 27th in, in favor of the Giants. It's really tough. Uh, and I think that from a design perspective, the Vikings probably benefit from the, the Giants approach. The Giants blitz even more than the Dolphins. They blitz more than any other team in the league. The Vikings are pretty good against the blitz because they have Justin Jefferson. The man coverage rates that the Giants uh, perform at is really high. They're the most man coverage heavy team that's associated with blitz rate, of course. Uh, and um, when it's true man coverage, Justin Jefferson eats when it's like man coverage with brackets you know that's been a problem for him we saw that in philadelphia we saw that uh in green bay we saw that in dallas but if it's just true man coverage it's it's pretty bad especially if they don't have a dory jackson it sounds like they may not even have julian love it's it, it is just a horrendous matchup i think for the giants that said the vikings aren't throwing very well they're just catching very well if that you know if that if that seems to make sense but with tj hawkinson winning underneath they're gonna have some openings I would take the the Vikings uh, minus three, maybe to win by four or five. We um, have some breaking news. I mean, I'm assuming Uh-oh. there's something, but like the the Bengals Ravens game is off. The last that I saw, it had creeped up to seven, and I think creeped down on the total to 41, which I'm assuming was someone believing that Lamar Jackson was not going to play. Um, well, I think I'm it's Tyler it- Huntley because Tyler Huntley did not throw at practice. And so I think it's trying to figure out if it's Tyler Hunter or Anthony Brown. If it's if we have Anthony Brown and Skylar Thompson starting playoff games, this is <laughs> I have two games that I don't need to watch. But we don't know that Lamar's not playing still, right? I guess we don't. Yeah, it's it's a three quarterback race. I think we're probably not going to see Lamar, but 
yeah, I we don't know if Lamar's playing. We don't know if Tyler Huntley's playing. We know that Anthony Brown is healthy. Great. We all we all <laughs> want to know that. Yeah, he's been healthy all year. <laughs> he's the Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I make so I make the number with Huntley Cincinnati minus nine and a half. Now I make Lamar a five point seven point upgrade from Huntley, but that is Lamar healthy. That is not like 70% Lamar who can't run. And so Antonio Brown is going to be, I mean, not Antonio Brown. Um, <laughs> might be a better be, quarterback he, for the match. Maybe, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they might have more of a chance there. But Brown is a, is, I, I'm not, not even sure how much of a downgrade he is. Um, but that would certainly be another, I would guess, two points probably. And so I, I don't have an opinion right now because, I mean, I don't have inside information on whether Lamar is going to play or not, but I do think this is one of those interesting situations from a betting perspective where the line probably doesn't close where it is now. It either drops or goes up. And so you could sort of use that to, for example, if you want to play, if you want to play the Ravens on the money line, you know, you're going to be, you know, if you think the market is priced appropriately right now, um, you stand to gain more from the line moving towards Baltimore than you do from the line moving towards Cincinnati, even if it's equal magnitude moves, just because you're getting, you're getting um, such a long shot bet, the risk reward profile of the bet um, uncertainty helps you just like for a teaser, this uncertainty would hurt you. Like I would, there's no circumstance for this game where I would ever tease Cincinnati. Um, the other thing is constructing potentially correlated parlays on, you know, if, if Lamar doesn't go, or let's say Lamar does go, and we think he's going to be healthy enough to be regular Lamar, that total is going to go up and the spread's going to go down. So you could have what normally is a negatively correlated parlay of Baltimore plus seven and over 43 and a half or whatever the total is. And that can actually, you know, have correlation, positive correlation just due to the way the line's going to move. So uh, that, that's, that's all I got to say on that game. <laughs> Yeah, it's tough for me to break down film on uh, any of these three quarterbacks. I will say uh, in expected points for dropback, they're negative 0.82 without Lamar. Um, that is technically better than the Indianapolis Colts and Houston Texans, but it would rank third worst in the league in expected points for dropback, which, man, doesn't say a lot about the Colts and the Texans. Um, but, uh, you know, they, they've been disappointing defensively this year. The Ravens, you know, they've had injuries with Marcus Peters, Kyle Fuller, Marcus Williams. Uh, it's difficult for them to play the kind of zone style play that they want to have, and they, they can't really do much against the deep ball without, you know, that cadre of safeties and cornerbacks doing so well for them, especially without that pass rush. So um, with, you know, Joe Burrow having his tremendous deep ball and fixing the issues with, you know, how bad that offensive line is and remains, um, but, you know, figuring out an offense around that, um, I, I would expect Cincinnati to hit whatever their implied over is. I just think that the matchup is pretty bad for them uh, or pretty good for Cincinnati, bad for the Ravens. Um, and so I would probably, you know, whatever this number turns out to be, I would probably take Cincinnati just because I think that the matchup issue here is so tremendous in favor of having Jamar Chase and T Higgins against that particular defense when that pass rush can't do anything. Lyle Collins not being healthy is, is a pretty big concern, but Burrow's done really well in terms of pocket movement. Um, and, uh, and I really like that, but you know, the other side, it's just tough. I mean, Lamar's usage within the offense over the past three years exceeds that of every other quarterback because of his running potential. It opens up other runners. Um, and if you have Tyler Huntley, who is a runner, it's not Lamar, right? If you have Tyler Huntley, it's just they could score points. If it's Anthony Brown, I mean, this Cincinnati defense is pretty underrated. If they have Anthony Brown, it's over. 
Can I ask a question? Why do the Bengals run the ball so much? I've, I've wondered this. It feels they're so inefficient running the ball, yet they run it way more than you'd expect given who they have at quarterback and the weapons they have. Yeah, I mean, personally, I think that every team runs too much, right? But um, I, I do think that for the Bengals, it does make sense given how I need to emphasize how bad this offensive line is. It's so bad that any time that they can force, especially if the edge rushers are, are edge rushers that make reads before they move upfield, if they force those edge rushers to be consistent in their reads, they will decrease the pressure getting into the backfield by about a quarter of a second, right? Which is enough for 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 Burrow to to get something off. So it is, um, it is optimal to take the negative expected points play here for the third and fourth quarter uh, opportunities to have a clean pocket where Burrow is absolutely, you know, phenomenal. So running the ball is not typically very good. Running the ball are not astounding, but I do think that there is an effect here with um, how edge rushers read runs. So I think that's part of it. Some of it's also, well, we have a talented running back. We should use him, which I think is 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 a broken style of thinking. But um, that's part of it, too. Well, he didn't he have like five touchdowns in one game. He must be really good. Yeah, he's got to be good. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's move on to the last game, the Monday night game. We got the Cowboys uh, now down to two and a half against the Tampa Bay Bucks. Um, interesting, you know, when this pop three it seemed pretty clear that it wasn't going to end three, um, at least in my mind. And so it moved quicker than I think most people than I thought it would. But um, anyways, what, what what do we think about this game? And what do we think about that line move? Yeah, I think I'm probably a little bit higher than the market on Tampa. And probably they got an little, old white quarterback. Probably yeah, a little go. higher than Dallas. They got one of the, on old, they got the oldest white quarterback. Uh, I, I make the line Dallas minus 1.3. So I'm pretty close to the market. I would say if if the market in other games swings the right way, it's definitely a teaser candidate for me. That would require, I mean, I would like to tease the Jaguars as well, but that would also require that I, I that the line on the Giants um, gets to a point where it could be a viable teaser. But um, I don't have a strong opinion here. It's uh, both of these teams have just limped in and, it's that Dallas game last week. I don't know how much we should read into it. They, they didn't, they had something to play for if Philadelphia lost, but it wasn't very inspirational. No, no, not at all. I mean, <laughs> that was Jerry, one like Jerry if you're McCarthy, you just way get... to spin it. Jerry Jones, you know, he's spinning it as inspiring. So that's why he's Jerry Jones. Yeah, there you go. Um, so with that, da- so Dak and Tom have both been fairly disappointing this year. Tom, obviously substantially more. Um, with Dak, I am not super concerned. I think from play to play, his um, process is quite good. I think that his ability to read the field, get rid of the ball quickly, find the right receiver, so on, um, has been excellent. I think that the statistics on him have are overblowing the interception problem, which interceptions are generally overblown anyway. Um, but if you so Kevin Cole does, I think, you know, pretty good work. I think he's actually been on your podcast. Um, he did uh, some work over at a Substack about adjusted quarterback efficiency, which is supposed to adjust for things like weather and fumbles and interceptions and drops and so on, um, pass blocking. And um, when you adjust for all of those things, including the fact that, you know, a good chunk of Dak's interceptions are quote unquote, not his fault, which from a film perspective uh, would imply that these are not going to continue going forward, which I think is true. Um 
he still ranks the same in EPA. So I'm not that worried. He's about eighth in EPA um, per drop back. Tom Brady is what, like 15th, 16th. Um, and I'm going to trust that Tom Brady number. I think that that is an accurate representation of the level of play you're going to get out of the Tampa Bay offense, in part because of uh, Byron Leftwich's offensive coordinating. I don't think it's very good, in part because of how, how injured that offensive line is. I don't think that's very good. There have been availability issues for those receivers. It's not going to be an issue in this game. So there is some offense there. But if you want to break a tie, you know, I think that, you know, Dak Prescott's a better quarterback this year than Tom Brady. That passing offense is better than Tom Brady's. Um, if you want to break a tie, you could say the, the, the Tampa Bay defense is good, but the Dallas defense is great. Uh, and they're great in ways that particularly target the way the Tampa Bay um, needs them to not be great. And that is in pass rush. Um, you know, Michael Parsons, defense player of the year candidate, really good. Dorrance Armstrong, pretty good. Uh, Demarcus Lawrence, a top 15 edge rusher. Sam Williams, a top rookie edge rusher. So um, they're going to get pressure on Tom Brady. Tom Brady gets rid of the ball quicker than anybody else. But that means throwing short. Throwing short means that Dallas can tackle and Dallas tackles pretty well. So I would still take Dallas. What's the line two, you said? One and a half. I would still take uh, Dallas here. I might have even taken Dallas at three, but, you know, I'm not. I'm not very good at modeling. So Dallas is two and a half. Two and so, half. I mean, it's, it's two and a half with a little bit of juice. So it's, it's pretty close to three in some respects. Okay. Yeah. Um, you can find okay. minus one tens. You, you see some, sorry. I'm, yeah, a, I'm at the, um, the, the most difficult book in the world to beat. So that's I'm cool. at the unabated odd screen. I don't know why you don't have that open, Jeff. <laughs> um, I don't know what unabated is. Uh, anyways. All right. Let's, let's move on. Um, Arif, thank you for joining us so much. Uh, we've taken enough of your time. It's nice to have someone with actual football knowledge on a podcast that's supposed to help people bet on football. Um, <laughs> seems like a, a perk or a benefit. Um, love to follow your work. Where, where can people follow your work? Yeah, you can follow me at Arif Hassan NFL on Twitter. Uh, I'm told I should get other social medias. It looks like those people were correct, but I still have not done it. MySpace? So... You don't have a MySpace? <laughs> MySpace. Not one I remember. I'd love to hear your playlist on MySpace. (laughs) All a bunch of sad white boy 90s music. Uh, But yeah, uh, A-R-I-F-H-S-A-N NFL at Rufus on NFL. You can find my work at profootballnetwork.com. That's about it. That's all. That's where all my stuff is. All right, man. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. So that was Arif Hassan. Um, It was nice to have someone on who actually could talk a little bit of football and be a little bit more entertaining than Rufus. What's your model say? Uh, 13 okay what's the market 11 okay that do you remember when um rj bell and brad powers made fun of us in a podcast and that's yeah, what they did i remember that those are those are the days those greatest moment imitation life. is the greatest form of flattery um no press is bad press okay so we forgot to ask him the questions that we ask our guests but we have had the space empty to allow rufus to answer ask me the questions as I've asked him the questions before. So maybe we'll do that right now, Rufus. How's that? Okay, I, I can do that. Okay. Okay, Jeff, who is funnier, Rufus or Jeff? I don't think that's a question. I think I'm much funnier. Who is smarter, Rufus or Jeff? I think you are smarter in many ways. And I think I'm smarter in all the important ways. So you are answering the question in the way you don't like our guests to answer the question. Mm, with where there's nuance with nuance nuance i don't care like no it's such an awkward question that i people can ask it or answer however they want okay least relatable food that you like least relatable food that i like so i think 
to get into this question, we have to understand relatable, right? And it's like, what is the thing that like you tell someone they eat, you eat, and they're like, huh, that kind of makes you a D-O-U-C-H-E, or that kind of makes you, so like, what is that least relatable? I think probably, I mean, the truffle potato chips were clearly one of the things that that um, triggered Kanish for us to even have this question. I mean, it, that triggers me. What does that trigger you? It triggers you to be Truffles hungry? are overrated. I don't get the truffle. Oh. love. don't get the truffle love. Interesting. Like, I understand would you, the, would you, I understand would you say caviar? I don't understand truffles. Um, so I like caviar, but I like I really just like the accoutrements around caviar more than the, the my next door neighbor runs a company called the Caviar Company. So caviar has become a bigger part of my life. Um, what is at least you think I would so know this flex. given the fact caviar that I'm on this show all the time? I'm on and I'm answering these, asking these questions. Yeah, I guess oh, anything wait. with truffles makes me unrelatable because, like, I do like truffles a lot and I like truffles, you know, like black truffles, white truffles, all the truffles. I have a follow up to the caviar. I'm teaching my dog, my dog, how to hunt truffles. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Has it been successful? No. Okay. Hasn't taken oysters. Do you like oysters better or the like mignonettes and the accoutrements? The, the, are you a mignonette I like guy? The, are you the a pageantry guy? I like the hot sauce I like the pageantry. Guy? I like the pageantry around eating oysters more than the taste of oysters. You like slurping. So you get excited to eat oysters. You get it for like, like again, all those things you say. And, you know, you want an oyster that doesn't taste very, taste very oystery, right? So it's oh, like one of see, the, so you don't actually love oysters. Probably not. Oh, I love oysters. Do you slurp it? Do you? Uh, I totally you slurp. Doing, or I, are I, you I like a slurp. fork? I slurp everything. I'm a I'm a Chinese eater who is not so cool on his table manners because I was brought up in a different culture. My table manners are just different than your table manners. Well, they're they're much better than uh, my business partner trains. I'll put it that way. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I've never okay. them. Favorite gambling moment. Favorite gambling moment. I mean, I think I had a really fun gambling moment this past week and I, I was telling you about it. And it was the moment that I opened my phone needing a, a win in my mind uh, mentally with all psyche and saw on Sunday afternoon that somehow John Rahm had come back from a seemingly un- insurmountable um, amount to, you know, I had, I had just won outright this week. It was John Rahm. I bet it pre um, pre tourney. And I was just going to like enjoy watching John Rahm hopefully win. Um, and obviously we saw what happened. Morikawa went out to a huge lead and then blew it, but seeing Rom come back and then, and then I got the joy of going back and watching, you know, that, 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 you know, I like had recorded it on our YouTube TV, which is wonderful, just kind of records it automatically for you. And so I went back and watched it. And you know what? Even I didn't bet on John Rom last week. I'm sure there was no value. I just bet on it but, for shits and giggles. Oh, I love watching Rom win. He's yeah um, yeah and, this and could I be love, the year of rom though if you think about it choke. right i love seeing somebody choke and knowing that i didn't have a bet on that guy i like seeing colin murakawa do things that i do hit a flyer out of the out of the trap and then totally chunk a chip although i like murakawa he's probably my second favorite yeah. golfer after rom okay jeff what is the favorite bet you were making in the next year um It will probably be the Celtics in every game of or or in every series, like Celtics in the playoffs at some level. Like I'm going to be excited to sort of 
make that. And obviously, like, as I'm exploring what I'm going to do next in my life, like the bet I make as the next thing that I do in my life, you know, I'm getting to some kind of interesting areas right now that, um, you know, that I never thought I would be in where, whether it's around golf or sports betting and all that kind of stuff, there's just some, so much interesting stuff happening right now that I think there'll be a bet I make on my career and my life. Uh, I am remodeling my house, which is a pretty big bet. Um, but yeah, no, I, I have, uh, I have futures right now on the Niners and futures right now on the Celtics. So, you know, those bets of those teams, like, cause usually what I'll end up doing is rather than hedging all Texas hedge, meaning put more down. So, um, yeah, those are the bets I'm going to make. Okay. What is the worst loss you've ever had? The worst loss I've ever had, you know, I, I, I last week, and again, like the, this is recency bias, but last week was one of the most difficult weeks I've, I've ever had sort of from a, from, from a sports betting perspective, not, not necessarily like real money attached to it. Cause they're just like recreational wagers at this point, but like on, um, on Monday. And I think I meant, did I, I mentioned this whole degen thing that happened on Monday where I'm like throwing in like the, these, these plays on games like Mississippi state were three and a half, which ends up losing on a fumble. Ruski. So this year I've already had two, games lose on lateral plays at the end of the games like that's in what 14 to 13 days or 12 days whatever day did 11 days i've already had that happen twice um i don't know my my worst loss is probably my blackjack loss that i've always talked about it's when i lost two hands of blackjack um fifty thousand dollars on each hand so five hands essentially double split blah 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 of ten thousand i lost a hundred thousand dollars on back-to-back hands of blackjack in both hands, the dealer pulled 21s um, with small cards. Um, and so, you know, the count was super high, like I was betting well. And it was one of those moments that I always talk about where you really um, doubt your your sort of system or doubt what you're doing. And so ultimately, the idea of, of process-driven thinking or bet the process comes from this idea of being able to overcome those types of losses. Um, and it was at Caesars Palace. I was 21 years old. I'd you know, basically, um, you know, bet two hands of $10,000, doubled, resplit, doubled, backdoor 21, three hands of $10,000, doubled, doubled, lost again. Is and this so, when you went on tilt and then bet into a bad count and then fucked Rufus, over Kevin Rufus Spacey's literally character. just watched 21. So I know. this is like a hilarious it's my thing. Second, for... I was going to get there, Jeff. I was going to say, instead of the Ask Rufus questions, uh, there was going to be... Rufus asks Jeff. You you can ask me one fiction. question in, in lieu of that. You can ask I want me one fact question. Fiction from twenty one. Right, when we're, when we're done with this segment, you can ask me one question about oh, twenty one. I, I want more than one question. No, you it get was the one second question time I've seen the movie, and the first time since I'd met you. So we can do we can do a we can do one question on it, and then maybe at some point in the off season we can do a, a whole a whole. Episode. We'll get an audience mailbag questions on Jeff's Just on career. Sure, sure. And, sounds good. Okay. Last question, person you'd follow blindly. Person I would follow blindly. Um, there's people I'd follow blindly generally. Like I, I more or less follow what you do blindly. I certainly would follow David out blindly. Um, my threshold for following someone blindly is not, it's, as, it's as far as low. sports betting goes, is not very high because it's always fun to just have action um, and be a degen. Um Person I would follow, person I would follow blindly is a guy by the name of Kevin Compton, and Kevin is uh, sort of my personal mentor. Um, he was the investor in my last two companies. 
He was a guy that uh, was, you know, an operating partner at Kleiner Perkins, which is this legendary VC firm during the heyday. Um, he was, you know, one of the first investors in Amazon and Google and on and on. And he is the most humble human I've ever met in my life. Um, he used to own the San Jose Sharks. Um, and, you know, he's a big, big sports guy. Um, you know, he, he is, he is just a special human being, a special individual. And if he told me to go, and I've always said this, if he told me to go work at McDonald's right now, because I need to learn better how to manage and then also how to take orders, um, I'd go do it because I would follow him blindly. And what's his, what's his email and phone number? Can you like, I have an idea. No, I'm not giving out. I'm not doxing Kevin Compton, but Kevin is an amazing, oh. amazing person who Just tell me I, off air. I want to talk who, to him. Well, I would follow up on and I, I could tell, I could like do an entire episode talking about the amazing things that Kevin has done for me in my life. Um, but I, it would, it would literally take too much time. And so, um, Kevin is the person I would follow blindly. Okay. So that's the seven questions. And instead of the audience mailbag question, I get one question to ask Jeff about fact sure. from fiction in the movie 21. Sure. So my question I is, I guess I should figure out if I want to go really general or really specific. Did you ever get beaten up, backroomed, card counting? Um, I did not. Um, there were a lot of people on the team that definitely got backroomed. There were people on the team that got thrown in jail. There were people that, um, I don't know of anyone that actually got beat up, although I'm sure there are times and I know there are card counters like there, there's a whole, the, the thing about advantage play and card counters and the amount of notoriety that I've gained from this, it's, it's disproportionate to the actual importance of how I, how important I am. Meaning like, I'm not that important in this grand scheme of things. There are legendary people that have paved the way for the little piss, piss ants, piss ants, piss ants, like myself, the MIT yeah. people, like, you know, like, um, there's just there's just a lot of amazing people that have laid the groundwork around Ed Thorpe. Ed, and people well, Ed before Thorpe, him. Honestly. Apparently, Ed Thorpe, Ed Thorpe, Ken Houston. Like, there's just a bunch of legends out there that you know. Tommy Highland. There's a bunch of legends out there that have done this. And there's like people now, you know, Max Rubin, the Blackjack Ball, etc. What's up? I was gonna say Ed Thorpe. I didn't realize at the time there was a lot of people that were very upset with him when he wrote "Beat the Dealer." I'm sure because people had been card counting for a while and they didn't want the secret out. So I don't know. I can relate. Are you calling yourself the Ed Thorpe of sports betting? Did you really just no, do that? No. I was just talking about, I the kind of feel like tool, you just dude. did. I was no, but I mean, about I, the teaser tool. No, I understand what you were talking about, Rufus. I'm not a dumbass. I, know. I knew um, you were going to go there. I knew, you but were it, it, is, it is, but, it is, it, it's, I'm, I'm as much shit as I'm going to give you. There is a really great analogy there. Like, and, and I, and I think even to some degree, we talked about it when you and I were having like a, a difficult conversation about the teaser tool. I was like, you could go back at me and talk about having the book and the movie made as a way that you made a market more efficient also. So yeah, I mean, we're all guilty at some level. I mean, even us just doing this podcast makes us guilty of ideally making seven people smarter, right? So one more follow-up question. Sure. Is basically the only thing true in the movie 21 that you went to Vegas and card counted? No, there's a lot true about what they do in that movie, like the spotting and all that kind of like the, the storyline of the story that, is obviously that, that very thing made was so obvious. The hands behind oh, the chair, dude, you, you think it's obvious, but it's not, I mean, our signals were 
as simple as that. There were arms folded behind, but you don't normally do arms folded behind at the blackjack table. Although there were people on the table on, on the team that were so adamant about playing as efficiently as possible, they would get super excited if they had a shoe and you didn't notice them, right? They would want to make sure that you saw them. So they would make their signals super obvious. But if you were sitting and playing, our signals were like hand by the face, just like, or two hands by the face. Or, you know, if you were, if you were, um, you know, if you were standing, we usually use the arms folded behind you when you're standing. Cause like you look around and there's people that do that in casinos as they're standing all the times, but sitting, it does seem a little bit weirder. But people did okay. definitely do that. In but but, but I mean, in terms of the plot of the movie, the only thing that's similar is the playing of blackjack. Um, there was no there was a big school. there was a no. I mean, there was a big breakup on the team. There was a lot of controversy between some people on the team. There was a moment where there was we, a moment when you tried to kiss somebody on the tee and she rejected you. I'm, there's been lots of moments like that in my life. <laughs> there, um, there was definitely a moment where we like kind of turned on the Mickey on the uh the Kevin Spacey character um there was you know like the training and in in the recruiting i mean like a lot of that is 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 true like but the burlap but, sack over your head no that's not true no. and there was an underground casino in in Chinatown that we did actually like have a funny run in with but it wasn't again like all the stuff is like based on the truth, right? Like almost every element in there has some, some level of truth to it, how it's strung together in the storyline and then how it's portrayed is certainly one thing that's been like a little bit, you know, Hollywoodized over time. Okay. Well, I appreciate you answering those questions. Thanks. Should we go to pick of the week? Yeah, let's do that. I know mine. What's yours? I'm going to take Jacksonville after hearing you guys talk. And it's actually something that our, our, our uh, model likes also. I'm going to take Jacksonville. I mean, I guess plus two, plus 115. What what would unabated say I should do there, Rufus? Probably plus, plus two minus right? 115 instead no, of... No, it's either plus two standard juice or plus 115 on the money line. Oh, plus two standard juice or plus 115 on the money line? I will, I'll find out for you right now, actually. Derivatives alternate lines plus two. Minus 110. You're better off. So p- taking the money line. Yeah, I figured. Plus, plus 115 instead of plus two minus 110. Yeah, that's what I yeah. figured. So How about you? For the second straight week, we're going to double up. All right. We're 1-0 when we, do- when we did it with the... And if someone was doing points betting at points bet, they could have made a lot of money off of our minus 12 and a half, right? Oh, yeah. Hopefully. So I think... We're going to double up again. I'm going to take Jacksonville also plus two slash money line. I guess I'll say plus two because that's the primary market. It's funny because like I'm like tilted on not having bet alt lines at Georgia on Georgia, but I literally never even looked at the alt lines. So I don't know why I would actually tell myself I'm, I thought about betting them because I didn't think about betting them. And so I bet an alt line, a money line. And your whole point was, Maybe these tails are mispriced, but my bet was essentially saying that the tails are being mispriced in a different way than you were thinking, at least in this one particular case, right? You you thinking that these tails you're, were, no, we were, were more, we're basically saying like you're, you're saying, saying different like things. Because yeah. you were saying there's more value in these extreme outcomes. And I was almost right. saying there's the extreme outcome, TC winning, is less likely than the market implies based on what that point spread 
is for the game. Yep. All right, kiddos. Thanks for joining us this week. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this one and we'll talk to you all again next week. We're hopefully we'll before have a you really go, Jeff, guest. before you yes. go, what are you watching this weekend? Are you watching all the NFL playoffs? Yeah, I'm watching the NFL playoffs. Don't open um, in Hawaii? College basketball, that? NBA? I don't know. Uh, I don't really watch a lot of college basketball. And, um, you know, it's just like when you have two kids, it's hard. Um, do, have you been watching more college basketball because you bet on it now? I've been watching certain games that have extreme totals just to kind of get a sense of, to try to learn, essentially right. to try to gain intuition into certain things in our simulation areas where I think we may maybe aren't, you know, where I think we could improve. And so Taylor and I have been talking about that stuff. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely watch as much of the wildcard games as I can. Um, I'll probably watch some of the golf. If I end up getting anything down on the golf, I don't know. I, I assume that there's zero value per anything you have. There's a pretty um, big weather split. What's that? There's a, there's a decent sized weather split Thursday, Friday. Yeah. There's a, there's a, it was, um it was fun to watch the century because it's a, it's a tournament that I, it's a course that I've, I've played probably four times in the last year. So it's a course I know wow. really well. So it's just, it's just fun to see it. Um, Another flex. Point. I just was, I went to Hawaii a couple of times for work and then went there once for fun. And so, yeah, so I, I've been, been able to see it. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, I'll, like I said, I'll, I, I am, uh, my wife is taking our oldest to uh, Great Wolf Lodge on Sunday night. And so I'm going to be with our youngest. And so that'll be fun because I never get to spend time alone with him. That's so, great. Yeah, it'll be fun. Okay. Well, thank you guys for listening and see you all next week. Yeah. All the numbers in the simulated system that break down the data analytically driven. Media coverage of sports gambling is pathetic. The bottom line is watered down. It seems like they don't get it. Puppeteers are put to end just running off a of Reddit. 